0: you ever get the feeling that everything in America is
1: completely fucked up you know that feeling that the whole country is like one inch away from saying that's it forget it
0: (sighs) yeah that's where we are but I'd like to offer something from the musical version of Pump Up the Volume for a second so we can pretend we're optimistic because there's a song in in this what would be this segment with Malcolm, or rather the students singing to Malcolm, which is an interesting premise. Uh, they say, speak to me when the darkest day turns into night, cast the shadows out into the light, say everything will be alright. <sighs> which, considering Malcolm, you know, shoots himself right after me, they are getting across, which sounds about right. Uh, I'm Robert.
1: I'm Sarah. And we're here
0: to talk about minutes 29 to 32, a pump of the volume. Which uh, starts with, we're still in the middle of the conversation, with Mark talking to Malcolm.
1: And we've got Mark egging him on quite a bit while he's crying.
0: Yeah, I, I was glad that this wasn't a choice, well, the director and writer are the same person, but it wasn't a choice in production. This is in the script that Mark does not believe him. And so he keeps asking more questions, more questions, until finally he realizes when he say, when Malcolm says, I'm all alone. Mark realizes he means it and, like, feels bad about all these questions. It's actually written in the script. So that was nice, at least. Because, yeah, Mark's just making it worse. Like, do you have it with you? Gone? Did you at least write a note? I mean, you have a reason, don't you? You're not going to be one of those people who kills themselves and nobody has any idea why they did it, huh? That's why we need a note, pal. He's being kind of a dick, as he is.
1: And should mention that at the time of this film, boys were three times as likely to actually die by suicide but in the past decade those rates have been narrowing and in 2015 more girls have actually completed suicide or died by suicide than boys and before we get too much further also want to give the national suicide hotline because it's easy to talk about issues like suicide rather flippantly in the context of a film but i just want to People to know that there is a national suicide hotline. If you don't, it's one 8255 I also know that it's really easy for me to sit here and give a suicide hotline number. We tell people to reach out if they're feeling bad, if they're if they're not well, and if anybody's listening who has had suicidal ideation or struggles with depression or anxiety, you know that reaching out when you are feeling in the worst space is actually most difficult thing to do and oftentimes we put the onus on the people who are suf- who are suffering to do things by just saying, hey, if you feel bad, reach out I'm here but we as other people in society, I think have a responsibility to do things to care for our neighbors and the people in our communities so that we don't have the increase that we see and I realize it's a complex issue because some of it is, genetic sometimes. Some of it is biological driven, biologically driven, but some of it is also driven by circumstance. And a lot of these circumstances, like poverty, like not caring for each other, happen because we're not advocating for things that we should be advocating for, like social safety nets and just better, healthier communities. (laughs) So I
0: was like Mark there, I was like, that was deep, that was like, that was useful, but no, that, it, <laughs> seriously it is, yeah.
1: And we also go back to Mark here saying, everybody's alone, so we get more existentialist. I like that the wall is pounding as I start to talk about existentialist philosophy, because me yeah, sort so. of like an absurdist, Charlie Kaufman-esque. At least
0: someone's trying to put something back together. Yeah. <laughs> but we gotta record right through it, because we gotta schedule the key. <laughs>
1: Good luck editing that. <laughs> Actually,
0: that was pretty good timing. <laughs> what was this about existential? something? So, yeah.
1: Mark says everybody's alone, so we've got more existentialist um, post-modernism here. Loneliness is essential to being, is basically the crux of existentialist philosophy. As humans, we enter the world alone, and we leave the world alone, and existentialists argue that all the loneliness that we feel is a longing for attention, and the things that we do are simply trying to soothe that longing for attention.
0: Yeah. Mark Mark tells uh, Malcolm, I didn't talk to one person today, not counting teachers, which I think might technically be incorrect the way the movie presents it, because today was when he went to the library and talked to Nora briefly. But I guess maybe he doesn't count that since he said okay. three words. He says, I sit alone every day, you know, sitting in the stairwell, eating my lunch, reading a book. What about you? But he doesn't get any more response from Malcolm because Malcolm has put the phone down and then hangs up. And there was a nice timing thing, not just with the editing, but a uh, good acting thing where Christian Slater actually winces when he hears the click. He doesn't like that he got hung up on. But then he's going back to be hard hairy and says, I hate that, now I'm depressed. Now I feel like killing myself, but luckily I'm too depressed to bother. It's you know, being flippant. And so he dials Malcolm's number again, but it's, it's off the hook. And that's when we get a shot of Malcolm's desk. A little better than we got before. We can see, you know, his glasses are sitting there still by the radio. You can see the computer keyboard off the left, so, you know. Uh, I forget what they call that in film where you include parts of scenes we've seen before to make sure we know it's the same place. But that kind of thing. There's a binder in it, uh, sitting on a notebook next to the computer and a Cafe Pacific flyer sitting on top of it, so. I don't know if he was supposed to go on a school trip or if he had been hoping to go on a trip to escape, but it's an interesting prop since it's never referenced. And it's just sitting there on his on his binder. And then he, on his desk, he's got a couple dictionaries, Doubleday Day, New Webster's, two other books that are in some multi-volume set. A one of them seemed to say American School as two of the words, but I cannot tell what else was written on it.
1: Yeah, and I meant to look that up.
0: And... I don't think it's all product placement. It's just that we see a lot of close-ups of radios. We do see that his radio is a realistic brand. And then the camera pans and rises up to the right to Malcolm. Below frame, he is loading a gun. And then you have to get a close-up on his face as he looks up, closes his eyes, and the, uh, there is an extra part in the script here. Because uh, Mark says in the, in the movie... Great, he's got the phone off the hook now. Rejected again, that's okay, I'm used to it. Terminal loneliness. Going back to your loneliness conversation there. In the script, it says Mark is still upset that the last call didn't go well, so he mimics a promo. And he says, death, the ultimate trip. Cheap and easy to arrange, all you need is your life and a tall building if you can find one out here. And that's when we cut to Malcolm in his room, taking off his glasses in
1: the script. So, we've got the tall building, reference to suburbia, I guess. Mm -hmm. And seems like the script is darker than the actual film, yes. so they're moving things again to appeal, or at least try to appeal to a more mass audience.
0: Yeah, and, but then they also keep scripting his reactions to things because it says <laughs> Mark is in a rueful mood that is a defense against his real feelings. And Mark says, hey, why not? What's a life these days anyway? One less car lined up at Kentucky chicken. And then there's a beat, and Mark, in quotes, hears... So I'm not sure if he was supposed to hear it from far away or what they meant here. A gunshot in the back of his brain. He stops, blinks, frowns. Suddenly he's exhausted. And this is when in the script, Mark starts to like lose energy and end his show. He says, I think I'll cut it short tonight. Got an exam tomorrow. Gotta to figure out what a cosine is, even though I have this feeling that later in life that word will never, ever
1: come up. Yeah. So he's, yeah, go <laughs> ahead. No, I was just going to say common teenage thing. When are we ever going to use that algebra? Mm-hmm.
0: To be fair, I don't sakatoa. So uh, cosine is adjacent it, over hypotenuse?
1: I don't know, and I, the fact that I even said algebra is kind of funny, because cosine is a geometry term, not an algebra term, and I nearly failed geometry <laughs> So,
0: <laughs> so in, in the script, we're going to get to music in a moment, because there's a lot of music in this segment. But in the script, he slowly fades up a, what the script calls a gimmick song. Uh, the tone, the, the song is to come. Something dark but danceable. In the mood of the Beatles, happiness is a warm gun. So, yeah, the the script is playing up the darkness of things even more. And then it says, Mark says, anyway, so be it. Talk hard, stand hard, show hard, and so on and so forth. And then we get to where we are in the movie. which is He changes his mood a little and puts on a record. We do see a close-up on the record. It is a Motown record, which he does not play a Motown song. Even the original Me and the Devil Blues by Robert Johnson, it was on uh, Vocalion, 1938, was never on Motown, and as far as I could tell, no cover of this song has been released on Motown records, so even the song, Me and the Devil Blues, was not the one he was supposed to be playing here, nor was Happiness is the one that was on uh, Apple records, so I don't know what he put on. They might have just gotten a close-up in putting on lots of records and just inserted them wherever. They don't expect us to look. But the song that does play is Me and the Devil Blues by the Cowboy Junkies, which is a cover of the original Robert Johnson song. Robert Johnson, yeah. You're
1: covering music, I got nothing. Those <laughs> are my only notes. Okay. <laughs> you're basically reading my notes now.
0: You got notes on Robert Johnson?
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, what do you yeah. got?
1: I mean, you're just reading. I can't, you can read it. I'm just gonna be reading the same thing you're reading. Well,
0: I'm pretty sure I have something you don't on Robert Johnson.
1: Maybe. Okay, keep going. I oh, will do just then like a good transition-y turn-taking. Go for it. No, go for it. You're already in it. I
0: just want to say, if you've heard of Robert Johnson, it's probably in context of what he is, I guess, most famous for, especially among white people, is that he sold his soul to the devil at a crossroads in order to be good at playing music. Which is a story that people retroactively put into his music when he got rediscovered by white musicians in the 1960s. So, goes back to stuff you were you've been talking about in previous segments.
1: Basically attributing that to him seems like a way that we use racism to discredit people. It can't be that he was that talented right. all on his own. There had to be some supernatural force or even worse, he himself had to do something horrible to obtain that level of talent because yeah, he couldn't have possibly done it. So well, it's incredibly racist story, but.
0: And this per- this particular song is one of the, like, three he's got that do reference the devil. The song begins with the devil showing up at his door to take him. Yeah. And so people took that as, like, a sign. No, he's singing about what's going on in his life because he really made a deal. No. Yeah.
1: But he's referencing the devil taking him away in this song after what seems like domestic abuse. Yeah. I'm using the lyrics of the song of his woman. It's a really dark song.
0: Yes, um, which, it's it's not many lines of the song, but yeah, it's in there. And people took it more apparently, like music credits think he
1: he
0: he wrote about women a lot and often bad women or people women that influences life in good and bad ways. And I think had more than one song that mentions like like abuse. And so they took this as yeah, the devil's coming for him, not because he had to deal with the devil, but because he had a life of sin and he's getting old. This the two takes of this song that are available. Were his last recording session, like right before he died. So even then, people were like, "Wait, what? what how, how did he die? Where's he buried?" And anything, any information they don't know, never mind. If it was a black man in like the forties, or we might not have had good records on that. They they take as part of the legend. Now I was reading about the deal, though, in particular, and what critics say in a book uh, by this is Patricia Schroeder's book, Robert Johnson: Myth Making and Contemporary American Culture, published in two thousand four. Uh, she's actually citing a blue scholar, Julio Finn, says, white, white male scholars who tried to understand Johnson's pact constituted the equivalent of a power block, a group of people with the means, education, financial assets, access to mass media to produce and interpret culture for the people's consumption. Uh, why has so much attention from the white power block been focused on Johnson's pact with the devil? Since, as Finn notes, most of these scholars don't believe the story anyway. Which, yeah, uh, is what you're saying. It's an easy way to discredit this guy who was one of like greatest blues guitarists ever. <laughs> Yet somehow only had a few recordings, you know. So that means he there must have been something wrong.
1: Yeah. Or he just didn't have the access or means. Yeah, to, he's a black
0: man in the nineteen uh, thirties.
1: Yeah. A recording studio. But in the Cowboy Junkies version, which the Cowboy Junkies version is the one, That's one that they play. Yeah. Right. So well Cowboy Junkies, the band is comprised of Canadian siblings. The LA Times called their The Trinity Sessions album one of the top ten albums of that year in 1988. They were a top 40 band in Canada with a lot of top 40 hits, but they seem like somebody I should have heard of. But
0: I definitely heard of them, but I don't know that I ever heard them. Like I wasn't familiar with songs of theirs.
1: In the Cowboy Junkies lyrics, they change from a man abusing a woman to a woman getting revenge on a man for abuse. They, like, flip some of the gender lines in this song.
0: Yeah, they change it to from woman to man. I I would note, interesting um, side note, another person who recently covered this song was Gil Scott Heron, who performed on the Sun City album that you talked about, I think that was last segment.
1: Yeah, I wasn't aware of anybody else who made covers of this song. It doesn't make sense there'd be
0: Uh Rolling Stones did it, (laughs) and The Doors did it. yeah. Uh, I think Bob Dylan covered it. I think the people who made the song famous, or p- famous in quotes, would probably be the Rolling Stones. Now, as this song plays, we actually don't hear much of the lyrics because Mark goes on a very, uh what's the opposite of energetic, uh, he's losing his energy as he's ending his show.
1: Yeah, by the end of this monologue, He's actually hugging the mic like he's telling a bedtime story, hunched over. Yeah. And, <laughs> and at one
0: point, he almost—it almost looks like he falls asleep.
1: Yeah, he's got his head and on wakes his arm. back up. Yeah.
0: But he starts with people always think they know who a person is, but they're always wrong. Um, and then we cut to Nora with her whiteboard. She's got clues written down. She's writing down eats lunch on stairs. She also has math exam, even though that line got cut. Uh, she has parents written, which I guess it's useful to know he has parents. Smurfs. Something about the president. I couldn't read the whole line, but it's ended with president. And she has a list of suspects, but I couldn't read any of the names and probably wouldn't have known who they were.
1: I'm wondering how accurate they would be since she seemed to miss him when he was right in front of her and seemed to think everything that would make him more likely to be the person made him less likely to be the person. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I was wondering if his name's on the board in that list, but yeah. I could not read any of them because of the angle. And she figures out that it's him tomorrow, so we never see this list again. But Mark continues, parents have no idea. Mine had me tested because I sit alone in my room all day, naked, wearing only a cock ring. I mean, it really bugs me. Everyone thinks they know how a person should be. Who cares how I should be, you know? I mean, in real life, I could be that anonymous nerd sitting across from you in Chem Lab, staring at you so hard, and they cut to Nora here, and she's got her marker up like she's waiting for him to give give her another clue, which is funny. And when you turn around, he tries to smile, but the smile just comes out all wrong. You just think how pathetic, and he just looks away. Never looks back at you again. And this is when his eyes close. And he kind of swallows and then wakes himself up and says, Hey, who cares, huh? That's my motto. And then he puts his head back down on his arm and says, Well, sleep tight, Cheryl. Sleep tight, Miss Refinements. Sleep tight, Poetry Lady. In the script, it cuts here to Malcolm's room. And the computer screen, that says, Nobody has a clue. And Mark says, Sleep tight, Mr. Sirius. Maybe you'll feel better tomorrow. He flips a switch, and the sound, and the because it's the movie, the scene fades out. And we cut to school the next day,
1: and we have the boys in conversation. Hey, Their names are
0: Holden and Gordon, by the way.
1: Oh, okay, so they have actual names mm-hmm. that aren't in the
0: <laughs> aren't in the script. Yes, but well, there are in the script.
1: So, oh,
0: sorry, yeah, I printed your copy of the script before I realized. it.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Holden's first.
1: Holden. So we get a Holden Caulfield reference.
0: Mm-hmm. Although his name is Holden Chew, which actually is interesting if that's in the script because he wouldn't have been. No, his last name's not in the script. That's on IMDb. That's racist.
1: And what's the other character's name? Gordon. Oh, okay. So, yeah. One's just saying, "Hey, what's cockering? It sounds cool. How should I know? Maybe it's a ring with a cock on it." I like, purpose here is that more people are talking about his show and listening mm-hmm. to the references that he's making.
0: Yep. And and then Holden's confused because he said he was wearing it. Then, yes, we get "Freedom of Speech" is playing as we see Mark sitting, arriving at school.
1: So. Above the Law was a group that was founded in 1989. Freedom of Speech was made for this film? Almost. Well, not exactly, but like knew what was going to be used in this film. They didn't really have many.
0: Well, yeah, this film does that a few times, because we get the unreleased Beastie Boys song, Dick Chugall, the Chagall Rivera song had not been released yet and almost didn't get released on its own album.
1: The song was it. released on ECE's Ruthless label, hmm. and the group disbanded shortly after. I think by like 1990, they weren't a band anymore. But the song lyrics pertain closely to the show. First, he says, "Now, what's really known as a radio cut when you can't say shit and you can't say fuck. I really think you want to hear it, but the radio station, you see, they're still gonna fear it. So." Making reference here to things we've talked about prior, like the 1987 FCC rules and Tipper Gore and that whole um, thing. Not that you could say shit and fucking pop songs on the radio prior to that, but um, he says, Yo, I thought this country was based upon freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of your own religion to make your own decision. Now that's baloney, because if I gotta play by your rules, I'm being phony. Yo, I gotta cater to this person or that person. I got a rhyme for the white or the black person. Why can't it all be equal? Music is a universal language for all people. And then the song quotes from First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech of the press. So obvious choice for (laughs) this film. One of the verses that I liked... Briefly from this song, it says, Rap music, a form of literature, words and verbs and adjectives painted up like a picture. I always loved rap and hip-hop when I knew, say from the time I knew what it was as a genre, which would have been by middle school, and when people would ask me why I loved it, it's like, I love it as an English major, because good rap is telling you a story, and it's telling you stories that you don't often hear they're telling you truth that you don't get in mainstream culture or mainstream music. Rap became mainstream, but that's how I view rap as a form of literature. And I think it's devalued by a lot of people again because of racism or those they'll say things are so horrible in rap songs, but meanwhile the country songs that they're listening to are just as thing. violent and mm-hmm. or okay. the pop songs that they're listening to are Just as much like supporting rape culture, toxic masculinity. All the genres of music are discussing those issues. In my opinion, those are things that we should discuss and those are things that we should make music about anyway. But the fact that rap is singled out as this horribly violent or misogynistic type of music is not fair or accurate if you study lyrics from different genres of music.
0: Yeah, this song isn't... Wasn't written into the script, but it did say that Mark hears a, the gimmick song from last night show and considers approaching a couple of kids that are moving to the gimmick song of last night on a ghetto blaster. And the script says, are they Hard Harry fans? Perhaps they're signaling this fact to others. Uh, but Mark slinks on afraid to hang out. So he that know, he, he know, it almost approaches people who would be fans of his. And then we get a couple angles of Mark walking around the school. Uh, he's actually out by the field. We don't see the field, but we can see the pipe on the hill. And then he—that's when he looks up and sees "So be it" spray painted on the wall. And in, in the script, I think it says he smiles at it, but he, Christian Slater doesn't quite smile. Yeah. He—he he notices. It seems like he likes that it's there, but then he moves on because he shouldn't be. He doesn't want to be staring at it. And almost bumps into a guy <laughs> immediately after. And then we cut to um, Mark passing some lockers. There's uh, Centurions flyers. Which, next segment, we'll have confirmation Centurions is the mascot.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. It's on the
0: sign outside the school.
1: Yeah, it was fun looking at what was in the locker and trying to figure yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that, that's my next thing, is Donald's locker. Because you noticed the thing about his his Centurion's flyer. Right. You darken the skin, remember?
1: Oh, I don't know if I even...
0: I don't know. Yeah, you want to mention that? <laughs> you want to mention that Donald turned his Centurion black? Yeah, right, I don't some, really
1: know what that was about.
0: I don't either because he also wrote something over the top of the flyer, but you can't read it. It's too it's we're not close yeah. to the locker. So his his flyer has been altered specifically. And he also has what might be a picture of Ice T, he has what might be a small poster for Mystery Scenes Mystery the Science Theater three thousand and possibly some garbage belt cards.
1: Yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out mostly. Mm-hmm. But okay. none of them
0: are very clear. 'Cause the shot's kinda wide and so you we know, just have to guess. Uh it is in the script that Janie walks by at this point, putting spray can uh spray paint can into her bag. The script says she looks militant, which was interesting because at a glance I did almost think for a second her jacket was camouflage, but it's not. It's just a nice leaf design to go with her pink dress. But she's she's uh the one who did the spray paint, so I had never noticed that until we were doing this show. And we see that Donald is selling tapes for five bucks each
1: and wondering are those just for kids whose parents don't let them listen to the radio at home i mean you think all the kids would have access to the
0: they don't have access to listen but uh he's probably playing old ones with interesting music because we are supposed to assume mark's right when he's the rap king of arizona like he introduced them to scenario he's been playing iced tea and now you know donald's got a picture of iced tea possibly so they were talking about in the boss at the beginning, that this is the one where he plays Ice-T. So.
1: Yeah. He's moved from the He's East Coast. He's got classic Coast episodes. And rap was more of an East Coast genre mm. until the early 1990s. Obviously, West Coast rappers existed before then, but it was very East Coast-dominated until you had, like, Tupac, and you had Digital Underground, and you had Too Short, and... A few others i'm forgetting but they were 1990s <laughs> phenomenon so it makes sense we'll credit the white boy for bringing rap interest to the <laughs> west coast
0: well it's both true and somewhat true and unfortunate because the same thing happens with like radio stations they are owned by a bunch of white men that at a certain point we are like okay fine we'll play rap because it's you know popular but then they make it more mainstream popular and then it's helpful and problematic at the same time
1: and then what got popular was more of the gangster rap style when a lot of the social justice focused rap music like a tribe called quest and yeah a lot of these men they didn't get the same radio players backed because rich white guys weren't trying to sell that message
0: no they weren't trying to sell the people they were just trying to sell a reminder that this is how those people are they sing about violence And, uh, this song transitions into another as Mark keeps walking past a couple cheerleaders. We hear Tale of the Twister by Chagall Guevara, a band named for Che Guevara and Mark Chagall. Mark stops for a moment because he sees Paige. Yeah. You got notes on the band?
1: Yes. Good. So.
0: (laughs) I got notes on some lyrics, but not the band.
1: Yeah. So, as you mentioned, they were named after commie revolutionaries Che Guevara and Mark Chagall was the other... Mm-hmm. Yeah. They weren't really commie revolutionaries themselves, though. They were Christian rockers who <laughs> wanted to do a different type <laughs> of country. Yeah, Yeah, they were in Christian rock bands that were never very popular. And this song on the soundtrack was the only album that they made, which was a self-titled yeah. Chagall Guevara album. And... Some lyrics from the song, And with a brain like Einstein, and with a form like Sin, Up on the roof of Trump Tower, she said, It's yours on a trade-in. So, huh. already in 1991, making Trump Tower jokes, and mm-hmm. not being worth very much. And
0: When I noticed in the lyrics, because we, we get it as we see Paige dancing, the opening lines of the song says, She was a cool blue redhead, she was a virgin vixen. But when I googled the virgin vixen line, because I couldn't remember which song this is, a different song comes out first, mm-hmm. which is She by the Misfits, which came out in 1978. Which the lyrics to that are, She's got a rich daddy, she's her daddy's girl. She will hide in silence, then her day will come. She was virgin vixen, she is on the run. Which those lyrics I thought fit Paige even better than this than this song did. Yeah. <laughs> like, Misfits would have been cool to play, but yeah, Chicago Very was brand new. It hadn't actually been released yet. Like some of the other songs.
1: And the Misfits song, She, was about Patty Hearst. Yeah. So, who Patty Hearst she was the granddaughter of
0: which it would have been William interesting Hurst.
1: William Randolph Hearst. Yeah.
0: It would have been interesting if that song played here cuz anyone familiar with the song might get that reference and might think Paige is going to do even bigger things later than what she does. And so it could have worked as a sort of misdirect foreshadowing that we're going to get actual violence later. But uh yeah, Mark does stop when he sees Paige dancing. And then he changes directions and walks a different way. Even though next segment we will see he circles back and walks past her, And that's where this segment ends. Lots of music. We end on kids having a good time dancing to music that will get interrupted next time. I will say since I messed it up last time. This is a weird reference. But I will promote The Room Minute. Because I said last time I didn't have any movies I'd covered that involved suicide. And that one does. But very different tone because of its bad filmmaking. You can find that on social media uh, and or all your podcatchers.
1: And you can listen to uh, Life as a Playlist and follow the Life as a Playlist social media pages and that's where I discuss more songs and lyrics in depth with autobiography and social commentary. So Speak out! I can't stop you! Find your voice and use it! Keep this
0: thing going Pick a name Go on the air Do your life Take charge of it Do it Try it Try anything Fill your guts out Say shit and fuck a million times if you want to But you decide Just fill the air Steal it Keep the air alive And follow this show on, as Pump Up The Minute on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram or check LemonDrops.com for links to the show and others. Talk hard! Everybody knows. Everybody knows. That's how it goes.